today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. And if we're in Him, we are found righteous with His imputed righteousness, Christ's righteousness. I like it this way. I heard it said this way, and it's stuck with me for many years. When God sees us, I want you to listen very carefully. He does not see us in our sin. He sees us through His Son. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will remind you of the incredible gift of Christ's righteousness. Due to the sin nature of humanity, you can never be made right with God on your own. But through the acceptance of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, His perfect blood, is the atonement for all your sins for all time. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 34 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Why don't we just go to the throne and pray and ask God's blessing on our time together in His Word. If you would, please join with me. Loving Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word and for this Bible study, this beautiful place that we can come to and just kind of put all the cares and the affairs of our busy lives aside and just give you our undivided attention. Lord, the world is getting crazier seemingly by the day. And Lord, we just are desperate for you. And Lord, this is for us a sanctuary and a respite and a a time where we can just hear you speak into our lives as you minister to us and reveal yourself to us afresh and anew. Lord, we need you. (laughs) And we need for you to speak clearly in and through these chapters that we have before us here in Isaiah. Lord, it's obvious, it's abundantly clear that we've overstayed our welcome in this world, not our home. And Lord, Bible studies like this and times like this are just a much needed reminder that this world is not our home. And um, heaven's our home. And we're going to get a little taste of that. And we're really looking forward to it, Lord, and thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so I'm going to begin with the takeaway right out of the chute from these two chapters, chiefly chapter 35, but it's that of the highway of holiness, as we're about to see. We're going to talk about and see what it is and how it is that we can get on this highway. 
until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom age, that millennial period, that millennial reign of 1,000 years here on earth after the second coming, which is after the seven year tribulation, which is after the rapture in that order. And we're going to see that. In fact, we have to deal with the horror, for lack of a better word, of chapter 34 first. And I say horror because chapter 34 is about the judgment of the nations in the seven year tribulation. So, you ready? Let's jump in. Verse 1. Come near you nations to hear and heed. Notice that delineation. Not just hear, but take heed, you people. Let the earth hear, and all that is in it, the world, and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and His fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also, verse 3, their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Uh, that's what I mean by horror. <laughs> so here again, we have a dual prophecy, first fulfilled in Isaiah's day with the Assyrian army and their invasion, but more importantly, at least for our application today, this is also a prophecy that will be fulfilled yet future in the seven year tribulation, and more specifically at the end of the seven year tribulation in what's known as, and the book of Revelation refers to as, the battle of Armageddon. Har Megiddo. Now for those of you that have been with us to Israel, you'll remember there on Mount Carmel overlooking the Valley of Jezreel, another name for the Valley of Megiddo or Armageddon. And it is a valley that stretches, get this, 153 miles for as far as the eye can see. And we're told in the book of Revelation at the end of the seven year tribulation that all of the armies of the, all of the nations are going to converge in this very place, in this valley, and it will be a battle, not really, but it's referred to as the Battle of Armageddon. But here's the thing, the blood, it's going to be so bloody, so horrific, the blood, we're told, will reach the horse's bridle. But God, this is what I mean by it's not really much of a battle, because they're going to battle each other, but then the Lord comes, and He just speaks the word, and that kind of ends the battle. 
And that is foretold again in the book of Revelation. Now, whenever you talk about the battle of Armageddon, uh, it's kind of sad. It's not kind of sad. It's really sad, actually. Because what comes to mind is Bruce Willis and the movie where an asteroid hits the earth. Armageddon. I think the movie's even titled that. I'm sorry, that's not Armageddon. That's not what happens. What happens is what we're told is going to happen in the book of Revelation, and the prophet Isaiah is referencing it here. And can you imagine the graphic nature and the graphic description of how the corpses will pile up, the stench from the corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. I know for us here in Hawaii, it's maybe a harder do to paint this picture on the canvas of your mind, but on the mainland, picture it like this, snow on a mountain melting. Except according to Isaiah's description, it's not snow melting, it's like blood. That's how voluminous the blood is going to be when this judgment comes. It gets worse, verse 4. <laughs> All the ho By the way, this ends well. Uh, when we get to 35, All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll, all their host shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. For my sword, verse 5, shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom, hang on to that, and on the people of my curse for judgment. Now, Edom in this context is a type of the world, and here's how I get there. Edom is the area known today as modern-day Jordan, the Edomites. These are the descendants of Esau, and they were the arch enemy of the Israelites, and as such cursed. In fact, you know the account of Esau selling his birthright, and he was cursed, and the blessing went to his fraternal twin brother. Now, Edom is in this case a type or a picture of a people who are cursed because they cursed God's people. Let me say the same thing in a different way. You have to understand that in the seven-year tribulation, all the nations of the earth are coming against Israel. No nation stands for Israel in defense of Israel. They will all turn against Israel. And this is the judgment that will come upon all the nations of the earth. And this is the picture that Isaiah is painting in this prophecy concerning Edom. Verse 6, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing 
with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, that's actually in modern day Jordan, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. The wild oxen, verse 7, shall come down with them, and the young bulls with the mighty bulls. And here we go again. (laughs) Their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust saturated with fatness. Okay. Hang in there with me on this, because there's a reason for the wording in this graphic description and prophecy. Notice the use of and imagery of animal sacrifices. There's a reason for that. Why? Because. This is God's judgment. Now again, stay with me. It's been said that judgment is simply holiness coming into contact with unrighteousness. In other words, there has to be the shedding of blood. Unrighteousness has now come into contact with holiness, and what will ensue is the righteous judgment of God. Make no mistake about it, this is just judgment. God is a just God. God is a holy God. And this judgment is this holiness coming into contact with unrighteousness. But here's the thing, we won't come into contact with it. Why? Because we're righteous. Oh, not in our own righteousness. That's as filthy rags as we're going to see later on in Isaiah but Christ's imputed righteousness. So we are on this highway of holiness, so this judgment will not come upon us, because we are righteous. We are right with God because of Christ, Christ's righteousness. Verse 8, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Its streams, verse 9, shall be turned into pitch, and its dust into brimstone. Its land shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. Uh, Does this sound familiar? It should. This again speaks to the unthinkable horror of God's judgment on a Christ-rejecting world in and during the tribulation, which is the purpose of the tribulation. And by the way, let me parenthetically say that here again, woven into the fabric of this obscure chapter here in Isaiah, we have yet another picture of a pre-tribulation rapture. 
Why? Because we are not appointed to wrath. We will not be subject to judgment. What is the purpose of this judgment? I know this is deeply profound. It's for judgment. We're not going to be judged because we've not rejected Christ. We've accepted Christ. And let me, let me tie it together with, but in the Passover, how was it that the Israelites were able to escape the judgment when those plagues came down on the Egyptians? They had the blood of a lamb that was spotless without blemish or wrinkle that had been inspected for four days before it was slain, and its blood shed the number of days that Jesus was on trial and found to be without sin, without blame, spotless like that lamb as a fulfillment of the Passover lamb. So then the Israelites would take that blood and they would put it on the door of their house in the shape of a cross. The top, the bottom was a basin, the side and the side. So that when that tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, you, you, you make that, that connection, right? The first begotten son, the only begotten son of God who would die so we could live and this plague was the death of the firstborn, but that angel of death, that judgment, would pass over them. Why? Because they had the blood of the Lamb. This, this horrific judgment here, <laughs> I'm not going to be here, and neither are you. You better not be. This is not for us. Second Thessalonians, why not? Might as well. Again, just bear with me. I love this. It's actually First Thessalonians 5, 3 first, where Paul says that while they are saying two words, peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them, as a woman in labor, travailing in labor, and they will not escape. One verse, packed full, and very telling. Key words. Them, they. Contrasted with when Paul writes his second letter, and even in his first letter, chapter 4, it's not them and they, it's we. You know the difference, right? We are not they. They are not we. They will not escape. We will. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. <laughs> the rapture has been affectionately referred to as the great escape. And I take great offense when well-intentioned Christians will take issue with us referring to, well really the Apostle Paul was the first one to do it, the rapture as the escape. We're going to escape all of this. Actually Jesus. And this gets Christians kind of messed up, because he says 
Pray that you're counted worthy to escape all of this. It's like, what? What what if I'm not worthy? No, you are worthy. He's worthy. And if you are in Christ, you will be found worthy and you will escape. And Paul says, they won't. This judgment will come upon them as a woman travailing in labor. They will not escape, but we will. We will not be here for this. Because, think about it this way. It's, I know this is again gonna, I just, I have a gift for taking something so simple and making it so complicated. It's truly a gift. My wife tells me, you have the gift of complication. And I keep telling her, that's not one of the gifts, honey. (laughs) So it doesn't matter, you have it anyway. It's really simple. I'll try not to complicate it, okay? Judgment is judgment. We are not under judgment. We are saved from the judgment. We're going to escape from the judgment, because the judgment is for those who have rejected Christ. It's a Christ-rejecting world that this unthinkable, unspeakable horror of God's judgment comes upon. And when Jesus says, pray that you're worthy to escape this coming judgment, what he's saying is, he is worthy. And if we're in Him, we are found righteous with His imputed righteousness, Christ's righteousness. I like it this way. I heard it said this way, and it's stuck with me for many years. When God sees us, I want you to listen very carefully. He does not see us in our sin. He sees us through His Son. Hebrews chapter 7. Do you, have you read this yet, this chapter? We're going to be there on Sunday morning. Okay, don't wait, (laughs) because I mean, wow, wow. It's all about Jesus. And I have to confess that in preparing to teach Hebrews chapter 7, I was very intimidated, like, oh my goodness, Lord, help me. And he did, he always does. And again, I was looking at this thing going, man, this is a doctoral dissertation all the way from chapter 7 through chapter 10, verse 18, and Melchizedek, the high priest, I got to get into all of the nuances and the typology, and he's our high priest, and he's greater than Abraham, and and I got to get into all this, and, and it's like the Lord's going, stop! What are you doing? It's, it's about me. You don't have to get into all of that. Besides that, if you have 38 points in chapter 7, you'll lose them at point number 2. Keep it simple, because that's what it is. It's just simple. Before we move on, one last thing on this, please, and, and we'll talk more about this in a moment, but the anger, the wrath of God is not on us because of Jesus. It's not on us because we're in Him. 
Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. We hope you continue to be encouraged as you learn some good things from the book of Isaiah. Did you realize that there are 39 chapters in Isaiah that address judgment and 27 chapters that point to God's salvation? How fascinating that this book relates to 39 books of the Old Testament, much about judgment of sin, and 27 books of the New Testament, pointing to Jesus as God's salvation for the world. Isaiah is yet another example of how God interweaves the old with the new, and how prophecies from old point to fulfillment of that later. Are you seeing the connections that God has written into these pages of Isaiah? If you're wanting to hear this message again or more like it, you can find them at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can learn more about the church this ministry is supported by, Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. If you're not already plugged into a local church, we invite you to be part of our church family. If you're in or near the Kaneohe area, we'd love for you to come visit us on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from the book of Isaiah. We look forward to the next edition with Pastor J.D. and the things that God has put on his heart to share from this prophetic book. Thanks again for listening today to In Spirit and Truth. Holy.